Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. My name is Josue Cardona, and today we're going to talk about video games and stigma. To talk with me about this is Kenley Dunlap. She's a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology, um, counting down the days to <laughs> to <laughs> to get her PsyD. Um, and she's done some research on on video game and stigma that I know is I think is going to be helpful for me, and I think it's really good um, the way she's doing it. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I saw I saw your presentation at PAX last year. I know it's this is your dissertation research, correct? Yes. So tell us a little bit about about that and 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 what it's all about. Well, I, I guess it started in undergrad. I um, I've always played video games my entire life. Like I was three months old when we got the Sega Master System. So I've I've literally been playing all my life. But in college, I got really into it. You know, playing you know, from 9 p.m. until 9 a.m., going, getting breakfast, going to class, and then going to sleep. Like, I really, really got into into gaming. And, you know, at the, at the time, there was a lot of research coming out about how games are bad for you, how they give you depression and anxiety, and they make you socially isolated, and they're just horrible, horrible things for you. They make you crazy and violent and, and all that. And it was just the complete opposite of my experience. You know, it, it had expanded my pool of friends. It had made me happier. It had made me more confident. You know, it, it had really kind of brought me out of my shell. So I was having a hard time like believing that my experience could be so different from the research. So I started actually doing research and into it and you know, just trying to find out what is going on. How can how can these two experiences be so different? So when I got into my doctoral program, I decided to do uh, my dissertation on the impact of video games on mental health. You know, is there a connection? Are there mitigating factors? Like what is going on here? Because it cannot be this, you know, games are bad for you or games are good for you. It, it, it was too simplistic for something like video games. And so what I did is I uh, built an online survey. So I used my awesome HTML coding skills uh, to translate uh, psychological measures like the, the Beck Depression Inventory, the Neo, the Staxi, and put them online, created a database, and then I used my connections from gaming to ask people to take this survey. And on top of that, then I tracked them for 30 days using Raptor so I could get their, their hours and what games they played. And then I gave them a post, uh, post survey as well to see had there been change over, over 30 days. And the results, not exactly what I was expecting, but very, very interesting nonetheless. Probably even more exciting than I could have hoped for. I mean, I, I understand the motivation. I know that in, in my life, uh, the stigma, oh man, video game stigma is something I've fought with all my life, both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. It's it's so bad that I'm I'm defensive about it. Yeah. I go into any conversation assuming that they think the worst about video games and I've got stats ready and I'm, I'm I've got all these arguments ready to go at all times. Well, I know when I was um we had to present our dissertation topics to a class and so what I did is I took my stats from a Griffball Double XP weekend on Halo where I literally played in about 72 hours, I probably played about 40 hours of that. And I posted those stats you know, like, here's someone playing video games. What do you think about this person? And my cohort would say things like, oh, they have no life. They probably have poor social skills. They're probably doing poor academically. You know, they're Ouch. probably depressed because they're not doing anything else. And so then the, you know, the, the hook was, I was like, those are actually my stats from three weekends ago. And it was like, oh, an audible gasp and people's jaws dropped. And, <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, and I, I I had a hard time believing it. And I even had someone come up to me afterwards and said, Kelly, 
I didn't know you were one of them. <laughs> Ouch. You're oh. one of them. And I mean, it was, it was great because obviously, as you would hope with a cohort of future psychologists, they were very open to it. You know, when they had the information and the stats that I presented to them and using even myself as a case example, they really walked away with a different appreciation of video games and, and the people who play them. So it was a very positive experience. And I still, to this day, get messages from my cohort. Oh, I thought of you today, Kelly. I had a kid come in who played video games, and I was able to talk with him about it. And I was like, okay, that's good. I, I feel like this next generation of psychologists that were in my cohort, they have a positive view of video games going forward. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've become that for my circles, too. It's like, oh, like they'll ask me what a game is because they have no idea. But, <laughs> but they're open to it. They're open to having a conversation about it. Yeah. It's really good. Only like last week, I had um, my fellow intern who I'm on uh, um, internship with. She's like, Kelly, do you know what, what game is? It? What's an RPG? Is that a game? <laughs> oh, my, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but then she, she let me sit there for 30 minutes and talk about it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I caught myself. That is so good. I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just went off on my tangent. She's like, no, that's really actually pretty helpful. So thank you. I'm like, okay. Well, if you need anything, I'm here. <laughs> oh, that is so great. And I know you mentioned Raptor before, and I don't know how many people are really familiar with that. Um, I love Raptor because uh, I love tracking my achievements and trophies and things like that and keeping track of everything. So, so I think, I think that's what really makes um, your survey special. Can you so explain what Raptor is? Sure. Raptor is an online client where you enter your gamer tag, your PSN. Uh, it even tracks for computer, uh, so whatever your login is for that. And it tracks how many hours you play your video games, what achievements you get, uh, what games you're playing, how you compare to your friends. You know, oh, so-and-so just surpassed you on Halo 4. And, you know, it's this really interesting kind of social network where you can friend people and uh, compare your gamer scores. And it really is for people who are into their achievements and uh, and stats and, and stuff like that. And the reason I really wanted to use it, I mean, I'm not a big achievement-oriented person, uh, but the thing that was really clutch for me about Raptor was that it's naturalistic observation. You know, one of the things that's really, really struck me in my research is that, you know, I'm reading about all these studies of how video games are bad for you and it causes aggression and blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at their procedures and people are playing for 30 minutes. You know, on, on average, 20 to 30 minutes is the most somebody got to play a video game. And I'm thinking, if you sat me down with Halo and pulled me off after only 20 minutes, yeah, I'm going to be pretty pissed because that's not enough time. And that's also presuming that they're familiar with the game. Exactly. If not, they're just learning for, for 15 minutes. Yeah, and that, that yeah, was yeah. the thing. I'm, I did undergraduate research, too, for my capstone, and I did it on aggression in video games. And what I found is that, I mean, it was a really tiny sample, and the the... Design probably wasn't the greatest, so nothing really ever came of it. But what I found kind of from this almost anecdotal study is that when people played games they were familiar with, their frustration went down. Like their, their happiness went up, their anger went down, their frustration went down. But when they played a game that they were unfamiliar with, their frustration went up, their anger, anger levels went up because they're figuring out the control schemes. Uh, they're, they're figuring out the level design. They're trying to figure out all the, the strats. To play and what I found is that they were familiar with the M-rated game and so their anger dropped but when they played the T-rated game the one that they weren't familiar with their anger went up and even on the E game the I think it was like penguin surfing or something people had spikes of frustration and aggression because they were trying to figure out how to get this penguin to surf 
so yeah, it it has a lot to to do with that. And so I figured, okay, if you're in a lab and you're you're being observed, we all know that that comes with a bias. You know that you're when you're being watched, you behave differently. You might report things differently. You might try to be the good participant. You might try to be the bad participant. You know, there, there's all those kind of situational demands on you. And you're only playing for 20 minutes, 30 minutes on a game that you might ne never play. You know, for example, if they sat me down and asked me to play, you know, like Fire Emblem or some real hardcore RPG, I, I would not be happy because that is not <laughs> that is not what I play. And that, I don't that's just not me. And in 30 minutes, you wouldn't have done anything. No, I would have. I would RPG. have been, been grinding. I, I would still be reading the intro text. Exactly. Uh, so the thing about Raptor is that it's naturalistic observation, or as close as we can get, because you're in your home, on your controller, with your Xbox, your friends list, your games on your schedule. And so I felt like that would really give you the clearest, most accurate picture possible for people basically playing in their natural environment, you know, like lions in the wild or whatever, but gamers in their in their natural environment. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem with, with most of the research, that all the stigma is coming from all these these different studies that are just taking anybody who doesn't who doesn't share uh, that experience that we share when when we play. Like for us, it's one thing. And for just anybody who's never played before, it's a completely different experience. And, and oh, it's so frustrating. So that's why it's so exciting that you <laughs> use Raptor on this. Well, I mean, I think about, you know, most studies have, you know, their, their participants are you know, probably freshmen or sophomores in college who need that extra psychology credit. So they'll, you know, they'll participate in experiments. Nothing wrong with that. I know I sure did <laughs> to get those bonus points. But I mean, if you don't like video games or if you're not, if it's just not something that's fun for you and then you do that because you're getting credit for it, then you're kind of being coerced and you might not have the best time. And so it's just, it's just really hard to suss out, you know, what is an artifact and what is actually being elicited by the game. Yeah, there's so much stuff in research. I'm like, well, what difficulty level did they use? And what were they doing with this? And, and what kind of level were they playing? And, and there's so many different aspects that, that never get touched on. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of conversations I have on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, I have them with myself in my head. Uh, when, I, when I'm like doing all this literature review and all this research and I'm seeing this and I'm like, I mean, I saw one study, I think it was an older study, but they they used chili powder as a measure of aggression. I'm like, what? What is that even? What does that even have to do anything? And Another thing about what made Raptor so great is that it gave me accurate hours. Because we all know, as you know, researchers, we all know that people are terrible, terrible at predicting how long things take them to do. It's just, we're, we're bad at it. Human beings are bad at it. But then you add in something like video games, which are so immersive. I mean, I've gotten into flow and spent, you know, oh, wow, I started Skyrim at 10 a.m. and now it's 6 p.m. Where did the day go? I didn't even get up to pee. Like, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. And, you know, just because you might do a gaming marathon on the weekend, you might not play all week. So when they're doing these surveys about, well, how much do you play and how often do you play and how many hours a week do you play? I mean, I even found that with my study. I asked people, how many hours a week do you play? And they were all terribly wrong. They were awful. But that, again, is why Raptor was so great is because I actually had concrete factual data on how much they played. So what what were some of the the most interesting findings and and what can I use now to, to battle video game stigma? 
Oh, one of the big things we found was that pathology didn't predict gaming. So people who initially reported high on depression, anxiety, uh, you know, low on conscientiousness, low on agreeableness, you know, those kind of more negative uh, traits, it didn't predict how many hours they played. So that's to say that people who were depressed didn't necessarily play more than people who weren't depressed. So that idea that playing more is correlated with negative mental health outcomes is is not true to what to my study found. Uh, it did, though, uh, pathology did predict, predict uh, expected gaming. Um, it, it was a pretty small effect, um, but, you know, my, my chair and I were thinking it's probably a negative mood state processing bias, so they think they're going to game more than they actually do. So they, they were the ones who tended to elevate their expected level of play, and then they didn't actually play that much. So it was interesting that they, they almost put themselves in this really negative category of, oh, yeah, I play video games all the time, um, when it really wasn't true. <laughs> and then uh, probably the most interesting part is that things really broke down into th three main dimensions. So whether or not people played video games to alleviate mental health symptoms, whether they used it for socializing, and whether they use it for rel relaxation. So for treatment, uh, that's the first dimension, basically that... Did people use video games as entertainment and as something fun to do, or did they use it to alleviate anxiety and depression? So basically, were they using video games in place of a therapist? And what we found is that people who use video games in place of a therapist were worse off. They actually experienced an increase in depression and anxiety and other negative mental health outcomes. Those who used it for entertainment, you know, not necessarily to escape or avoid, which we know is not the best thing to do, uh, didn't had had no effect at all. Um, they often those who played shooters actually experienced an, a decrease in aggression, but everything else was null. Uh, as far as socialization, it was go back go back oh, on sure. that one again. Sure. I think that one that one needs to be repeated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Regarding the shooters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the individuals, and we we can't really explain it. We don't we don't necessarily know why, but individuals who played shooters most often experienced a decrease in uh, in state aggression, so in anger. So the idea that you come home from a rough day at work and you blow stuff up with a rocket launcher and it makes you feel better, well, the research is kind of showing that it actually does. Um, as long as you're not using the game as a therapist in lieu of getting mental health treatment. And that was the thing that we really drove home during this panel at PAX is that video games are not a therapist. They're not. And... If you need help, get it. But on the other hand, if you're using it for fun, you're fine. And if you play shooters, you're probably going to be less stressed after you play. Yeah, and that, that one's just so important, working with families, working with um, lots of different clients who they all think, you know, if if they're playing shooters, then... And, and those are the ones that are in the news the most, right? Call mm -hmm. of Duty, things like that. Yeah, oh, the, the Columbine shooter and the Sandy Hook shooter and... You know, they, they played Call of Duty, or rather, they owned a copy of Call of Duty. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. they probably owned a Bible, too, but you're not blaming the Bible, yeah. you know, which is much more violent than a video game. Yeah. And it, it was just yesterday, literally yesterday, I was sitting, I was playing um, a video game with one of my, he's a 10-year-old uh, little boy that I'm seeing for ADHD, and so we're playing, you know, video games to work on attention and things like that. And uh, it was Cactus McCoy <laughs> was the video game. And all of a sudden, he's like, ooh, a gun. And he picks up a revolver and he starts shooting the bad guy. 
up until this point, he'd been throwing like, you know, ninja stars and like tumbleweeds and things like that. But I felt like all of a sudden my chest tightened and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's shooting a gun. Oh my gosh. And I started to worry, oh my gosh, what? And I had to remind myself, you know what, Kelly, you know the research. Research says that just because you're using a shooter, it does not mean that they're going to turn into a psychopath. But I, I mean, even myself, I had to catch myself having that kind of reaction. Yeah. And I mean, and, and that's an, uh, a really good point. And it was something that I was going to ask you about later was us as clinicians in this in in this position that we're in. That bias, that stigma is so can be so negative. Um, like you, you could have completely derailed that session, right? Yeah. Because you freaked out because you did it. No, no, no guns, no guns. Let's stop. Let's go play Uno or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of uh, I, I know a lot of people who wouldn't who would be afraid to do that because they have these beliefs about what that means. Even it just goes to show that even in us who love games and who are, are educated in games, it is so deeply ingrained in us that you know, even we can have that kind of reaction. So it does make me have a little more empathy for people who are not as educated about games having that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And then oh, the second domain that we did was socializing. So, I mean, most, there's a stigma that, oh, gamers don't have any friends, they're pasty pale, they live in their parents' basements, and they have poor social skills. And what we found is that video games are really, really good at helping people socialize. And most people who played indicated they did so because they wanted to play with other people. They wanted to play with their friends. They wanted to engage socially. Now, the again, there it, it's always complex. It's not black and white. There's always gray. People who played games to socialize great. They had better mental health, fewer depressive symptoms, fewer anxious symptoms. Um, they were overall just healthy, happier people. However, people who played video games as a way to socialize as their main social activity. So like that is where they got most of their socialization. That is where they went to, you know, like they didn't have many friends outside of gaming. They didn't socialize outside of the gaming sphere. They were much more at risk to have higher levels of depression and anxiety. You know, it's kind of getting across, once again, that it's it's not good or bad, it's how you use it. So if you're using it to hang out with your friends, that's great. That's really good. If you're using it as the only way to socially engage, um, you're, you're probably going to be much more at risk for, if you don't already have the depression, developing depression. All right, and then the, the last domain that we really found was uh, relaxation versus avoidance. So did you play video games because they were relaxing? Again, you know, hard day at work, you go blow stuff up with a rocket launcher, you feel better. Or do you play video games to lose yourself, to deconnect from reality? And uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that one's a pretty obvious result. But people who played to relax did fine, decreases in anxiety, decreases in depression, uh, you know, nothing ne really negative to speak of. No, no result, you know, which is I'll take. Um, but those who endorsed playing video games to escape real-world problems to, you know, that they when they play, the point is to get lost. The point is to play Skyrim for 16 hours and not come up for air. They definitely had higher levels of depression and anxiety compared to the norm. Hmm. So, I mean, it, it, not to say that if you enter flow and if you do lose track of time, that's not to say that that's a bad thing. I mean, I know it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, but if it's a habit, if it's something that happens every time, you know, if that's your motivation to play, then you are more at risk for uh, anxious and depressive symptoms to, to be more prevalent. 
or if you didn't pick up your kid from school or you didn't go to work because yes. uh, you got lost in the game, there it's a problem. Yes, that uh, I think, no, I don't believe in gaming addiction personally, but mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that is actually one of the criteria in a lot of the uh, addiction measures that are being used is, you know, do you neglect, you know, real life activities um, because of your gaming? Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the addiction part of it is, is such a big um, component of, of the stigma out there, too. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's researching uh, the concept of uh, addiction versus engagement, mm -hmm. right? So it sounds like, you know, you and I are on the same page. It's like you can really get into games. <laughs> yeah. It is really, really. And that doesn't mean that you have an addiction. I mean, the, the way I always try to explain it to people is that anything to excess is bad for you. I mean, literally, too much water and you will die. Too much oxygen and you will die. You know, too much food is unhealthy for you. And the foods you choose, your motivation for eating, impacts how food affects your body. I mean, it's 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 everything we do. And so, you know, the idea that something can just be inherently bad or inherently good, you know, I don't I don't really believe in those kinds of extremes, especially not anymore. Yeah. So, but yeah, anything, anything to excess. But I mean, that classic, you know, all things in moderation. You know, yeah. I still eat hot dogs, but not, not all the time. And if I did, you know, I'd probably have a negative outcome. In the, in the case of video games, it seems so bad that I've had people, I've had um, so parents of kids, and I've had spouses, um, male and female, both uh, back and forth accusing the other of being addicted or having some sort of issue with video games when the amount of time that they played was minimal. And I mean something like, you know, maybe 20 minutes playing on the iPhone or something like that. And they're already trying to make the other person feel bad. Like, no, 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 that's, that's too much. And th that's a big problem that, that I, that I deal with, you know, um, with my clients all the time. A lot of it has to do with the idea that games and at larger play is a waste of time. Oh, mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure you could just hear, there's River, uh, <laughs> your little bell. But there's, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of research out there about play, and I, I delved into that quite a bit um, with my research, even though it's not game-related, but you know, overall that play is incredibly important to the health and happiness of human beings. I mean, we, we consider it so important in children that we have recess. You know, that we, it's, I think it's the International Human Rights for Children, or there's some organization like that, where play is considered a human right for kids. Like, that's how important play is. And it doesn't stop when we become adults. You know, play is usually replaced by work, which is not particularly as fun. Yeah, Jane McGonigal in her book, Reality is Broken, was talking about how one of the reasons people are having, I think she used the word, this mass exodus into gaming is because real life is not interesting enough. It's not challenging enough. It is not fulfilling our, our basic human needs to feel challenged, to feel accomplished, to see the end result, to always work on the edge of our ability and to be rewarded for that. Because that's what we need. That's what we need for, for human happiness. These, these things that video games give us, you know, a sense of mastery, a, a sense of purpose, you know, those Fiero moments she talks about, you know, epic wins. Video games give that to us, and we don't get that in real life anymore. You know, you did when you were a kid on the playground, you know, building your fort and acting out, you know, your, your play. And, but as adults, we don't get that. And it's incredibly important that we do, 
But there's this idea, well, I'm sure you've come across it too. Oh, video games, you're so immature. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, oh, you, you're not serious if you play video games. You're not a serious adult. You need to grow up. And the research shows, research on play at least, shows that that's kind of the opposite. Is that play is very, very healthy and it doesn't matter how old you are. People who are happier are ones who engage in play. I, th- I think that uh, Jane McGonigal's book, I don't know how much of an effect it's had on the conversation overall, but it, what she says is true. I mean, we are com- like we are competing with our virtual world and our real world are competing, and and the virtual world is winning because it's a lot more fun. And sometimes just that, like that war between one and the other, is is causing a lot of this conversation and a lot of these the stigma and and a lot of um yeah a lot of us moving more towards that direction because again it like you said it it is more fun it's just more engaging and i I think one of the difficult things that we kind of come up against is you look at you know the working world well this is the way things are done you know if you are playing at work you are not being serious if you are you know if work is a happy place it's almost seen as unusual or you know, not productive. And it's so sad because there's so much great research out there about workspaces, about allowing, it's like a, Google has that 20% where during one week they take 20% of the time that they would be working at work and they get to take that and do it at home and pursue whatever it is they want. And some of the most amazing things come out of that because people are literally playing. They're taking these ideas, this creative process, and they're creating something new. They're they're playing uh, in, in an adult way, so to speak. And they've had some really amazing things come out of that 20% time. And, you know, there's workspaces where, you know, instead of cubicles, it's more an open air environment. And, you know, there's so many ways to make it more social, more engaging. So th- this idea that you have to be stuck in a cubicle all day is it's an ancient idea from the 80s. Well, I guess that's not ancient then. Uh, it's it's an antiquated <laughs> idea from from the eighties about maximizing workspace uh, while paying less for for actual space. Yeah, and that's why gamification is so big now. I mean, just applying those game concepts into everyday work um, to try to make it less boring, more engaging, and increase motivation. And I think you know a lot of it is I mean, one of the basic things that McGonagall talks about, and a lot of. Um, like uh, industrial psychologists talk about is that people need to see that they made a difference. They need to see the end result of their work, but most people don't. Most people do their part of the project and then it gets sent on and they never see the end result. They never, you know, get to see what their effort was for. And that, that's a killer on motivation. And no progress. So you, you finish the pilots on your desk and tomorrow there's another one. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were stuck on the same video game level for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you, the first time you played, it'd be awesome. And then the second or third time, you know, you'd try to perfect it. But after that, you're just kind of like, eh, what's the point? I worked in a um, uh, a factory once and um, we had all of our, everybody who was on the assembly line, the best workers, we, we would identify the best workers. And then after a while, you could see that the productivity would, would go up and then their, their quality would, would just reach like a benchmark, right? It would be, it would be so good, right? Like it would be really great. And then after that, their quality would start going down and their production would say kind of steady, but it's because they were bored essentially. Mm-hmm. 
And so you took the best workers and you moved them around. You had to because if not, you were wasting you were wasting that that resource. And I think you know the same thing goes for everybody. You can't just do the same thing over and over and over again and and be okay. Yeah, I mean, human beings are. I mean, we are what we are. And just because we've been doing you know work and and stuff like that, you know, for the last forty fifty years in the exact same way, doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. And you know, something like games is a huge a huge vehicle for change if people are willing to to experiment with it, to play with it. Uh, I actually I think one of the most recent ones was Yahoo. They had something where their their staff they still worked forty hours a week, but they completely made their own schedule. So you know, I, I don't know about anybody else, but when you're programming, you know, even my super duper awesome HTML or actual you know sophisticated coding, when you get on a tear, you're gone. Like you, you can do ten hours in a sitting, but it might be from like three o'clock in the morning until you know later in the afternoon, till one in the afternoon. And they had great productivity because people felt like they had a say. People were able to kind of like in my study do the work on their time, and that boosted happiness and morale so much because I mean think about people with kids. They didn't have to send their kids to daycare. You know the flexibility of their schedule allowed them to actually have lives, have that work-life balance. And yeah, I mean, that's, and then the new CEO came in and changed everything and now everybody's miserable again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Play isn't bad. Video games aren't bad. You know, cancer is bad. That is something that you can say is bad, but things that we engage in because they make us feel good other than psychoactive substances like marijuana or like, uh, you know, cocaine or, you know, meth. I'm not I'm not endor- endorsing a new Heisenberg or anything. But um yeah, the long and short video games, they're not good for you. They're not bad for you. They are the product of why you play them. And now, and this is this is important. So the beliefs that you have about the game affect your your reactions to them. Yes. Right? So so for example, so if I think that sitting down and playing this RPG for a few hours makes me more depressed or makes me a loser or whatever. It'll, it'll kind of have that effect. And then if I believe that it's not, then it doesn't. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what the research is finding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not just in my study, but in general, I mean, it's that you're, what you're saying right now is CBT. It's just Mm -hmm. basic straight up CBT of what you tell yourself is what you sell yourself. And if you believe that, this video game is going to make you happier then it probably will. So yeah. Yeah. Before making any huge life changes with my clients, usually the first thing we do is look at what we already have and then change our perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all you have to do. Um, once you start looking at it differently, you start feeling different. Um, very simple, but it's cool to have the research to back up video games in particular. You're not a loser. You don't suck. Cause it's, oh, it's so sad, you know, to hear people just like the, the self, um, the self-deprivation, right? The self-loathing mm-hmm. of like, oh, I play a lot, so I'm a loser. I play a lot, and that's probably why I'm sad. Well, I know, you know, just from my personal experiences. I mean, I'm sure you, you know, you, you, and probably everybody listening has had this experience. But I think also partially because I'm a girl, I, I might have had more of it. Is that my circle of friends when I was growing up was very dismissive. You know, if I wanted to talk about video games, none of my other female friends would want to talk to me. You know, if I wanted to go and play, you know, Sonic for 
you know, like a sleepover or whatever, nobody else, you know, like, oh, oh, Kelly, that's so stupid. And, you know, even in college, people going, oh, you play video games? You know, oh, well, that not that immature? And that's a waste of time? And, yeah, so even before I found my little group of gamer friends, as silly as that sounds, you know, it was, it was very ostracizing to be, I think, for anybody to play video games, but I think especially for female gamers, because you're getting it from outside, from... You know, your non-gamer friends saying, oh, that's that's something boys do. I think my mom told me that, actually. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> video games are for boys. Why are you doing that? That's stuff for nerds and geeks. And they made those words sound so bad. And then also as a female gamer, when you do get in, you get it from the gamers themselves. You know, oh, girls don't play video games. You don't belong here. Go make me a sandwich. But again, it just goes, it's not black and white. You know, it's not that easy to put it into a box. We want to. And society wants to because we want a way, as always, to explain horrible, unexplainable things. You know, when an earthquake would happen or a volcano would erupt, you know, the Greeks were like, oh, Zeus is mad at us. You know, <laughs> and now when things like Sandy Hook happen and, you know, Virginia Tech, we don't want it. But one, we don't want it to be unpredictable because then it could happen to us. We want to be able to, as human beings, we want to be able to categorize the threat so that we can avoid it. So if we can put it in a little box and say, oh, well, he plays video games, that makes us as human beings feel safer because that means you can avoid it. Well, if you just don't play video games, this won't happen to you. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, I mean, the same thing happened with television. It's, it's still going on with television. You know, rap music has been targeted. Music in general, I mean, in its 20s, I, I do believe there was actually an article I read, uh, jazz puts the sin in symphony or Symphonia or whatever the word was, and if you liked jazz music, you were a, you know a, a trollop and a harlot and a charlatan and you know, devil music <laughs> exactly. And I mean, there's there's even research going all the way back to like the gramophone and how it would. Um, there's actually a quote on the radio how the radio would distract our children and lead them to violence, and how the gramophone would distract children from their schoolwork um, with its dulcet tones. And there was even a, a very renowned philosopher in the Age of Enlightenment saying that the printing press will overwhelm the minds of the masses with all this information and we're all going to start raving mad because there's just too much information to process. <laughs> so this idea that technology is always the harbinger of doom has been going on since, well, since Socrates. I think it was, yeah, Plato warned that writing down things will lead to the decline in our memory. So we're, we're going back thousands and thousands of years here. I'm sure even the dinosaurs were like, dude, put that DS down. That's not good for you. That's going to cause a comet or a, yeah. an asteroid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's nothing new. that This attack on new technology, new ways of communicating. And people said horrible things about the telephone. Now, mm -hmm. I mean, new ways of socializing, communicating, gathering, enjoying ourselves. It's It's always been you know, the harbinger of doom, and it never has been, so. Yeah, but my life story is similar. Everybody's dismissive. Um, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. very, it was hard to eventually find a group of people who were, who who you could share, you know, your, your interests with. And then, then professionally, it, it became like a whole new problem, mm -hmm. right? Because um, at first, I, I wouldn't talk about it. It's like, you know, like something I was uh, ashamed of. And then once I started working with kids, I thought, how can I not bring this up? This is all that they talk about. Why aren't we using video games with these kids? And I started getting a lot of um, pushback. Um, so 
what has been your experience professionally? So I know you, you're presenting mm-hmm. the research, you put research in people's faces, and that makes a big difference. But um, but in general, like, what are you finding? Are you finding other people who um, maybe in your program or other people in the field who are really um, moving this forward? And, and, and do you see a shift, like people being not as dismissive? It, it's hard. I mean, I, I was very lucky. Uh, I found the my chair, my professor at my university, um, huge Star Wars nerd. Like, he was my stats professor, and he made, like, the... the Oh gosh, what are they called? The outlier brackets. And you're like, look, it looks like a TIE fighter. And I lost my shit. I was laughing hysterically. And everybody just stared at me because nobody else got it. Um, So I was like, you, you will be my chair. And so he's been very supportive and very open. At the same time, I have had pretty much every advisor ever tell me, take your video game stuff off your your Vita. You know, and keep in mind, I've, I've presented at PAX. I've presented at RTX. I've presented, you know, all sorts of things. In places like that, and you know, I've done a lot of work through gaming, you know, charity work and awareness raising. And I mean, I won that uh, Twitch scholarship in 2012 for my work with video games and mental health. Um, I have a paper published from my work at the VA, and I'm always told, "Take that off, take that off." If people see that you, you know, a professional see you are interested in video games, you you're not going to get you're not going to get an internship, you're not going to get an externship, you're not going to get no one's going to take you seriously. And I mean, even my chair, who's so supportive of me, was like, you know, change it to digital media. You know, don't say video games, change it to digital media, because otherwise you are going to face a stigma. And I definitely have. I mean, I definitely don't go around touting it, uh, that this is what I do. Because even parents, you know, when I work with kids, the parents themselves are like, you played video games with my kid? Why am I paying for that? But then, you know, I actually had an example a little while ago where I had a boy came in adolescent male who I don't need therapy this is a waste of my time you know I'm failing school because I don't care blah 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 and he was very defensive and his mom's at her wits end he's like I don't want to be here take me home and I noticed on his shirt it says you know eat sleep play video games and so I was like well do you like you know I see on your shirt you like video games he's like yeah what do you play you wouldn't know (laughs) oh really yeah, well, what do you know? I'm like, well, you know, I just beat Legendary on, you know, Halo 4. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I got my, you know, I, I noob comma my way through level one. And, you know, I know Grand Theft Auto just dropped. Have you gotten that? What do you think? And then by the end of the session, you know, he's like, Mom, I want her to be my therapist. <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's just completely... Yeah, like it's, it's necessary. It's, I it's, think it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. a vital tool. I mean, was it 98% of children under uh, children under 18 play video games? Over 56% of American households have a video game console in them. The average age of a gamer is 34. People mm-hmm. play. They are here. They are playing games. But a lot of times they're ashamed to talk about them or they don't think that it's important or they don't think that it can be part of their therapy. My favorite one was uh, I had a family come for a really late session and the son was furious. He didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And the mom says, he won't talk to you. He's really mad because um, he was supposed to go line up for a game like that's releasing at midnight. I was like, and she's like, I have no idea what he wants to play. I was like, okay, there's only one game that comes out tonight. So I go out and I, I immediately, I just go right to him and I say, oh, you want Black Ops 2 is coming out tonight. Your mom said you were going to line up. His eyes just lit yeah. up and... And that, that was that was it. That was all it took. <laughs> His mom has no idea what it is. She's all dismissive. And then you're in this position where that matters 
to to him and and it matters to like the stats that you just said it matters to people in their 30s it matters to such a large percentage of the population it's not just kids yeah well i mean my my grandmother and i play words with friends on facebook Mm -hmm. and she's got her tablet and you know she can't do much with it you know it's it's a work in progress but you know i referred to her as a gamer and she's like no i'm not like (laughs) one you play solitaire on your tablet that's a video game you play words with friends with me. That's a video game. She's like, oh, so so I am a gamer. I'm like, yes, yes you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's I think that's almost what we're seeing now is almost counterculture. Is that a lot of the people who love games and have loved games have had experiences like you and I, where we were really ostracized and we were made to feel like we were not normal. And so we kind of we kind of formed this this treehouse, this nerdy gamer treehouse, and we had it all to ourselves. And now that games are becoming more popular in culture, you know, that, that geek culture is becoming more popular. I mean, the Big Bang Theory is a perfect example of a non-geek's perception of what geeks are like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's becoming almost cool now to be a geek, you mm-hmm. know, and you see that with people wearing the big glasses and, you know, pocket protectors and this, this whole kind of, you know, geek is the new chic. And you're seeing the core part of this, the people who grew up with the ostracism really fighting back. And saying, no, we don't want you here. That whole fake gamer thing. You know, you're not a real gamer. You're not one of us. Um, you go to conventions and you see people, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, getting hostile towards one another or online and in the forums and in matchmaking. Oh, you're not a real gamer. And it's it's really sad. I mean, I can understand it, you know, because I'm not going to lie that there are girls who I grew up with who just teased the crap out of me because I played video games and now they're, you know, Oh, I'm playing whatever, you know, look at me. I'm a gamer girl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, like, okay, you're playing Bejeweled. So there's a lot of acceptance going on that, you know, it is, it is the new, it is the new thing and it's only going to get bigger. And, you know, so it's, it's definitely tough because, you know, it's basically like having to accept your bullies into your treehouse. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good point yeah 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 i know i know my my mom loves to play on her phone and before her obsession with like uh, uh games on her phone she would play a lot of sudoku and she'll she'll go back and forth mm-hmm. and that's something that she really likes she likes to unwind and 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 i've been seeing adult female clients who will i guess be open more open about it and and instead of just not saying what they you know what they did to unwind or, or spend some time on they they will be more open about it and and people are talking about it. I think I think it's great. That's why again I think it's it's a shame that that still we have so many people and of course it's a lot of older people in our profession mm-hmm. who who think that you you can't put that on your vita, you can't talk about that. You can't um there's no there's there's no reason to 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 put that on your resume. And yet, I mean, um, last year I I gave a training at a at a professional conference to two clinicians and it was called um, embracing geek culture and half of it was using video games and i put all the esa stats out at the beginning and that's that was that was enough to get people involved and then by the end of it people were asking about these games they've heard about that they that they weren't sure what they were and and it's real i think it's so important to have these conversations so important i i absolutely agree um i Again, my uh, my cohort for uh, my internship, we meet, there's probably about 20 of us in this consortium, and we meet once a week to kind of discuss cases and whatnot. 
And I had a girl come up and present and said, you know, hey, Kelly, I know one of my child clients is playing this game. Can you tell me about it? And so I go on and I you know, talk about what it is and whatever. And, you know, afterwards, everybody seemed so interested. And so afterwards, I went up to the, the director and was like, you know, could I do a presentation on like video games 101? Because it's so important. Every All these kids are playing it. Even the adults are playing it. Like it's part of our culture now. And you know, as psychologists, we're supposed to be culturally competent, but we're ignoring this huge part of culture. And she's like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. I haven't had a date yet, so we'll see what happens. Do it. Yeah, I, I want to. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's like I tell my husband, it's it's an instant rapport button. It's like yeah. that, that Staples Easy button. If you can speak video games, even somewhat, you know, and, then, and even if you don't know a lot about it, the fact that you can maybe speak the language a little bit and at least show interest in it. It exactly. is. It's, it's instant rapport. It's like rip off the package, pour in the water, bam, you have rapport with your client. Yeah, it's just don't be dismissive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just that. Just don't be dismissive and that'll go a long way. You know, it's not something that kids do. Yeah, kids eat dirt, kids eat glue, you know, kids play video games. No, it's it's a little bit different than, than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, going, I mean, going back to the, the adults, I mean, my mom, I remember when I was living at home, she played Halo 2 with me. She played the level on the bridge with the tank. And she got in the tank. And we, we were playing on easy, mind you. But she had so much fun. She had so much fun. And to me, it meant so much. I mean, obviously, to this day, I still remember it. That she took that time to do something that I really enjoyed. And that she, you know, it was this awesome moment of bonding, I guess, between us. And now she's completely hooked on Candy Crush. And... <laughs> yeah. You know, she's like, I, I feel so guilty playing this. You know, I feel like I should be doing laundry or I should be cleaning the kitchen or something. And Mom, this game is its stimulating your ocular nerves. It's working <laughs> your brain and your logic centers. It's working your brain and your processing speed. You know, Mom, it's, it's warding off Alzheimer's. This game is good for your brain. She's like, really? I'm like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a future doctor, Mom. This is future doctor's <laughs> orders here. You should play Candy Crush. <laughs> and then so now she just she plays it without guilt and you know it's it's something she enjoys and it's something that that actually is helping her cognitively um and i just i feel so great that i'm able to do that you know whether it's my mom or my cohort or when i go to you know pax that i can basically tell people you're okay it's okay to like video games you're not crazy you're not going to go off the hook and and shoot somebody you know, this is this is an okay thing, and here's all the research. And it's like if I could just spend my the rest of my life doing that, if I could just travel around the country talking about the research on video games and doing research on video games, I, I that would be amazing. Like that makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. Well, you know, and I think I think there's a need for this because if you think about my my first my earliest memory is me playing Mario uh, the original Super Mario Brothers with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how old I was, like two, two, maybe two, three. I don't know. It's it's one of those memories where I've seen the video of us doing it. It's like, so it's like it's not even a, a memory of being there. It's a video, a family video that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you brought a Sega Master System home. You know, somebody brought a Sega Master System home when you were three months old. Yeah, we like we didn't make those purchases. It was our parents that brought these things into our lives, and they played with us, mm-hmm. and it became such an important part of our lives. I don't, I don't know. It, it sounds like in, in your house the same thing happened. In my house, it was like my dad didn't want to play anymore. I was so disappointed. Mm-hmm. We used to play all the time. What, what's wrong? Games got too difficult. I don't know. But 
but it was there the the connection the 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 family time the thing that we shared the fun that we had and then it's look at how it's affected us now that we're we're willing to have these essentially i mean i think these are battles that we're having on professional lines right mm-hmm. with our peers with our our seniors and telling them nope video games are cool and i'm going to put it on my vita and i'm going to give a presentation on that yeah. because this is important um so imagine what were the stats for people that played video games back then compared to now so all the people who are growing up now with video games i mean how can we not ha- be having this conversation yeah absolutely and Unfortunately, psychology is very much an old boys club. It's very much the old guard, and it always has been. I mean, they were the disciples of Freud who poo-pooed the behaviorists, and then the behaviorists poo-pooed the cognitives, and the cognitivists poo-pooed the gestaltists. And, like, that's just how psychology has always been. And so now when you've got us, I don't know, new mediaists or, or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, you know, we, there is a lot of, you know a lot of fear and a lot of misunderstanding and part of that is the research. I mean, I can't really blame older psychologists when the research that came out for them was saying, oh, video games are horrible for you. You know, that this positive outcome, this positive research is 10 years old, maybe 15 years old at at the most. So, and it's it's only really starting to take off now is looking at the positive sides of gaming. So, you know, if the research is telling you it's bad, okay, but that's why you got to keep up. That's why you got to keep reading the research. You have to keep going at it. But yeah, absolutely. I think it is so important. I mean, especially as therapists, because our, our job is to to touch people's lives in a, in a way that gives them hope. And I remember, I think it was, I think it was PAX where I presented. And afterward, I mean, one, there's this huge line of questions, which just made me giddy. And then to the point where there were still like 10, 15 people willing to wait to talk to me after the panel. And one guy, he was the last one. He must have waited at least a half an hour just to talk with me. And he came up and he's like, you know, I just really wanted to thank you for for what you did. And to me, this is almost kind of silly. This is what I love to do. Like someone thanking me for doing what I love to do. You know, I'm still kind of getting over that. He's like, you know, I have a really hard time socially. You know, I have a lot of social anxiety. I don't do well at school. I don't have a lot of friends. And I just wanted to let you know that I really appreciate you coming out. You know, I, I have found friends through video games and I'm, I'm getting better and, you know, I'm still kind of shy and, you know, I, I'm still kind of nervous to meet people in real life. But I, you know, so it, I almost didn't talk to you because I was so nervous. And so I kind of looked at him and was like, you do realize that you're a conve- at a convention with 60,000 people, right? <laughs> and he just kind of stood there and he, you could see like the light going off in his head. And he's like, yeah, I am. And I'm like, I know people who would never do that. Not because they're not good socially, but because that's a lot of people. The fact that you are here and you are surrounded by this incredibly welcoming group of gamers. There are 60,000 people around you and you're telling me you're shy? And he's got this <laughs> big old grin and he walked away and he stood a little bit taller. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm like getting goosebumps talking about it because... This is the impact that you can have on people's lives. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's why I think a lot of us need to go to more conventions and show, show the gamers, show the geeks that, that we're out there and we're, we're <laughs> fighting the good fight. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? And, and we're, we're putting the positive spin on it and we're, we're showing the research and we're saying essentially, and the most important thing is that we're saying we're not being dismissive and we're saying that it's okay. Yeah. Come talk to us about it. Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as that. Well, I mean, you you think about a lot of pretty much one of the the 
staples of any mental health disorder is, you know, low self-esteem and avoidance. Those are like two hallmarks of almost every disorder out there, you know, except the neurological ones, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that it's a safe environment, it's welcoming, and we're, we're making them feel like they are a part of something, that they have value. They are not devalued as human beings because of what they like to do. And that they're, not only are we saying that, here's this research. And not only is there research, here we are at like the mecca of gaming and we're getting to talk about it. It is noticed, it is important, and it is being fought. Like you said, we are fighting the good fight. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned PAX, and I know we are trying to get a panel together, and I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and again, that just that message to show people that, hey, we're here. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> this we, is a real thing. Because we'll have a doctor, we'll have people who are using games actively in their mm-hmm. therapy, we have research, yeah. we have everything. And yep. I, I, yeah, I think that would be a great way to, to continue to deliver that message that, you know, video games are here and they're not bad for you. And, you know, there, there are people out there who are in a position to speak loudly, to speak for you. And we are doing that. Yeah. At least I try Kel- to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying, man. We're trying. Yeah. So Kelly, before we wrap up, um, was there anything in your study um, that you wish you could have either done differently or done more of or, or what areas are you looking at um, to research in the future that you think that we really need to to look into to kind of move this forward and, and fight, you know, continue to fight against video game stigma? I think I would have I would have wanted to get more um, more social data because I only had like one or two questions dealing with with social factors. Because uh, again, that that was not the target of my research. It was a surprising outcome that I'm I'm very glad I found. But my initial hypothesis was that uh, personality constellations would mitigate the effects of video games, which turned out to be absolutely nothing. There was nothing there, but all this good stuff came out. Uh, so one replication, I think other people need to use Raptor. I think other people need to use these more naturalistic observations to to see what it really is like. Uh, if I could do it again, I think I would want to do it for a longer time. Like I would love to do a longitudinal study uh, over a year as opposed to a month. And uh, the only other factor that didn't quite pan out the way I wanted to is that in my initial survey, I had 300 respondents. In my follow-up survey, I only had 100, around 100, some of which didn't even take the first one, so I couldn't use their data. So maybe finding a way to keep the numbers up uh, to reach more people I mean, 300 is a solid number. I mean, even 100 that I ended up with is a, is a very good number. Uh, but I'd, I'd want to do it on a larger scale. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think that's for future studies, uh, a larger scale, continuing to use clients like Raptor to track hours, a little bit more focus on the social piece, uh, just because that, again, that was an unexpected outcome for me, and then doing it over a longer period of time. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say like uh, about this topic or anything you want to make sure people take away before we wrap up? Well, I, I feel like the people who would listen to this podcast already know, but you know, just always that, you know, it's don't be ashamed of who you are. If you like gaming, then you like gaming and there's, there's tons of people out there who like it too. And if you're in a position to be able to stand up for someone, you know, to, to do it, you know, whether that's, one-on-one in a therapy session and letting them know, hey, it's okay. You know, if you 
you know, you're in a schoolyard and someone's being teased to, to kind of stand up for them. Or if you happen to have some fancy letters after your name, and you can go to a convention and you can advocate and let people know that, you know, this is the research and you don't have to feel stigmatized. You don't have to feel like you're alone. I think, you know, at least for me, that's, that's almost like a mandate. Like, I, I feel like I have to go out. I have to do this because I know a lot of people who I've met, you know, through gaming and in my practice and even on the streets that they they can't speak for themselves. You know, they, they have their opinions, but because they don't have fancy letters after the name, they don't have a, an audience at PAX that they, they feel alone and they feel like nobody cares. So, you know, just if you can do what you can to speak out through research, through presentations, through posting in online forums and just, you know, raise advocacy and awareness for, for those who can't do it themselves. I'm going to take everything you just said and make it in my ringtone. <laughs> my phone. Okay. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly, for, for, for coming on the show and talking about your research, which I think again is just so important. Um, I'm so happy to, I'm so happy to find it, to, to, to see what you were doing and to hear you talk about it. It's, I'm very excited and um, I am, I really want to talk to you again about a lot of this stuff. Oh, absolutely. I love coming on. I mean, I seriously could just sit here and talk all day. This is something I'm so passionate about, which I'm sure comes across. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. So if you ever want me on again, I would be more than happy. This is, this has been awesome. I love getting to talk my research uh, with other people who understand it and are interested in it. Uh, because again, in our profession, not everybody is super, uh, super enthusiastic. <laughs> Uh, no, they are not. <laughs> about it. So, but no, thank you so much for having me on. This was this was awesome. Um, and just uh, just in case when I edit, I can't um, get all of the different sound effects out. You had some guests with you on your end. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, joining me on the couch this morning was my uh, giant orange tabby cat River, and my adorable thirty pound beagle Ellie, who uh, whose lovely snoring she shared with you all uh, today. <laughs> I'm having pets on the show now every week. This is pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Ellie, uh, Ellie represented the sound that most elderly psychology people think of when they hear my research. <laughs> <laughs> good job, Ellie. Excellent point. Um, and Kelly, if anybody wants to reach out to you or contact you about any of your research or has any questions, um, how could they do that? Uh, Twitter is probably the best way. I'm a Twitter fanatic. And uh, I go by my, my gamer tag, which is Goosechecka. So at Goosechecka, G-O-O-S-E-C-H-E-C-K-A. Um, obviously, that's my gamer tag, too. So if you're on Xbox Live, feel free to, to hit me up. And if you Google Goosechecka, you will find like 5,000 different ways to get a hold of me. Uh, but Twitter's probably the easiest. Awesome. So, Kelly, you'll definitely, definitely be on the show soon, I hope. Um, and, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you to everybody else who's in the room with you. <laughs> yep, Simon, River, and Ellie. I will include everything we referenced in the show notes, so the PAX presentation, um, maybe some links to some data on your research if you have any available, um, your gamer tag and all that. And for more information on Geek Therapy, visit geektherapy.com or follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. Geek Therapy.